Section 18 of Jean Christophe, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Seeger in Chicago. Jean Christophe, Volume 1, by Romain Roland. Translated by Gilbert Canaan. Morning 3, Part 2. He went again two days later as was arranged, to give Minna a music lesson. Thereafter, under this arrangement, he went regularly twice a week in the morning, and very often he went again in the evening to play and talk. Frau von Kerich was glad to see him. She was a clever and a kind woman. She was thirty-five when she lost her husband, and although young in body and at heart, she was not sorry to withdraw from the world in which she had gone far since her marriage. Perhaps she left it the more easily, because she had found it very amusing, and thought wisely that she could not both eat her cake and have it. She was devoted to the memory of Herr von Kerich, not that she had felt anything like love for him when they married, but good fellowship was enough for her. She was of an easy temper and an affectionate disposition. She had given herself up to her daughter's education. But the same moderation which she had had in her love held in check the impulsive and morbid quality which is sometimes in motherhood, when the child is the only creature upon whom the woman can expend her jealous need of loving and being loved. She loved Minna much, but was clear in her judgment of her, and did not conceal any of her imperfections any more than she tried to deceive herself about herself witty and clever she had a keen eye for discovering at a glance the weakness and ridiculous side of any person she took great pleasure in it without ever being the least malicious for she was as indulgent as she was scoffing and while she laughed at people she loved to be of use to them young jean christophe gave food both to her kindness and to her critical mind during the first days of her sojourn in the little town, when her mourning kept her out of society, Jean Christophe was a distraction for her, primarily by his talent. She loved music, although she was no musician. She found in it a physical and moral well-being in which thoughts could idly sink into a pleasant melancholy. Sitting by the fire, while Jean Christophe played, a book in her hands and smiling vaguely, she took a silent delight in the mechanical movements of his fingers and the purposeless wanderings of her reverie, hovering among the sad, sweet images of the past. But more even than the music, the musician interested her. She was clever enough to be conscious of Jean Christophe's rare gifts, although she was not capable of perceiving his really original quality. It gave her a curious pleasure to watch the waking of those mysterious fires which she saw kindling in him. She had quickly appreciated his moral qualities, his uprightness, his courage, the sort of stoicism in him so touching in a child. But for all that she did not view him the less with the usual perspicacity of her sharp mocking eyes. His awkwardness, his ugliness, his little ridiculous qualities amused her. She did not take him altogether seriously. She did not take many things seriously. 
Jean Christophe's antic outbursts, his violence, his fantastic humor, made her think sometimes that he was a little unbalanced. She saw in him one of the crafts, honest men and good musicians, but always a little wrong in the head. Her light irony escaped Jean Christophe. He was conscious only of Frau von Kerek's kindness. He was so unused to anyone being kind to him. Although his duties at the palace brought him into daily contact with the world, poor Jean Christophe had remained a little savage, untutored, and uneducated. The selfishness of the court was only concerned in turning him to its profit and not in helping him in any way. He went to the palace, sat at the piano, played, and went away again, and nobody ever took the trouble to talk to him, except absently to pay him some banal compliment. Since his grandfather's death, no one, either at home or outside, had ever thought of helping him to learn the conduct of life, or to be a man. He suffered cruelly from his ignorance and the roughness of his manners. He went through an agony and bloody sweat to shape himself alone, but he did not succeed. Books, conversation, example, all were lacking. He would fain have confessed his distress to a friend, but could not bring himself to do so. Even with Otto he had not dared, because at the first words he had uttered, Otto had assumed a tone of disdainful superiority which had burned into him like hot iron. And now with Frau von Kerich it all became easy. Of her own accord, without his having to ask anything, it cost Jean Christophe's pride so much, she showed him gently what he should not do, told him what he ought to do, advised him how to dress, eat, walk, talk, and never passed over any fault of manners, taste, or language. And he could not be hurt by it, so light and careful was her touch in the handling of the boy's easily injured vanity. She took in hand also his literary education without seeming to be concerned with it. She never showed surprise at his strange ignorance, but never let slip an opportunity of correcting his mistakes simply, easily, as if it were natural for him to have been in error, and instead of alarming him with pedantic lessons, she conceived the idea of employing their evening meetings by making Minna or Jean Christophe read passages of history, or of the poets, German and foreign. She treated him as a son of the house, with a few fine shades of patronizing familiarity, which he never saw. She was even concerned with his clothes, gave him new ones, knitted him a woolen comforter, presented him with little toilet things, and all so gently that he never was put about by her care or her presence. In short, she gave him all the little attentions and the quasi-maternal care which come to every good woman instinctively for a child who is entrusted to her or trusts himself to her without her having any deep feeling for it. But Jean Christophe thought that all the tenderness was given to him personally, and he was filled with gratitude. He would break out into little awkward, passionate speeches, which seemed a little ridiculous to Frau von Kerich, though they did not fail to give her pleasure. With Minna his relation was very different. 
When Jean Christophe met her again at her first lesson, he was still intoxicated by his memories of the preceding evening and of the girl's soft looks, and he was greatly surprised to find her an altogether different person from the girl he had seen only a few hours before. She hardly looked at him and did not listen to what he said, and when she raised her eyes to him, he saw in them so icy a coldness that he was chilled by it. He tortured himself for a long time to discover wherein lay his offence. He had given none, and Minna's feelings were neither more nor less favourable than on the preceding day. Just as she had been then, Minna was completely indifferent to him. If on the first occasion she had smiled upon him in welcome, it was from a girl's instinctive coquetry who delights to try the power of her eyes on the first comer, be it only a trimmed poodle who turns up to fill her idle hours. But since the preceding day the too-easy conquest had already lost interest for her. She had subjected Jean Christophe to a severe scrutiny, and she thought him an ugly boy, poor, ill-bred, who played the piano well, though he had ugly hands, held his fork at table abominably, and ate his fish with a knife. Then he seemed to her very uninteresting. She wanted to have music lessons from him. She wanted even to amuse herself with him, because for the moment she had no other companion, and because in spite of her pretensions of being no longer a child, she had still in gusts a crazy longing to play, a need of expending her superfluous gaiety, which was, in her as in her mother, still further roused by the constraint imposed by their mourning. But she took no more account of Jean Christophe than of a domestic animal, and if it still happened occasionally during the days of her greatest coldness that she made eyes at him, it was purely out of forgetfulness, and because she was thinking of something else, or simply so as not to get out of practice. And when she looked at him like that, Jean Christophe's heart used to leap. It is doubtful if she saw it. She was telling herself stories, for she was at the age when we delight the senses with sweet fluttering dreams. She was forever absorbed in thoughts of love, filled with a curiosity which was only innocent from ignorance. And she only thought of love as a well-taught young lady should, in terms of marriage. Her ideal was far from having taken definite shape. Sometimes she dreamed of marrying a lieutenant, sometimes of marrying a poet, properly sublime, a la Schiller. One project devoured another, and the last was always welcomed with the same gravity and just the same amount of conviction. For the rest, all of them were quite ready to give way before a profitable reality, for it is wonderful to see how easily romantic girls forget their dreams when something less ideal, but more certain, appears before them. As it was, sentimental Minna was, in spite of all, calm and cold. In spite of her aristocratic name and the pride with which the ennobling particle filled her, she had the soul of a little German housewife in the exquisite days of adolescence. Naturally, Jean Christophe did not in the least understand the complicated mechanism, more complicated in appearance than in reality, of the feminine heart. 
He was often baffled by the ways of his friends, but he was so happy in loving them that he credited them with all that disturbed and made him sad with them, so as to persuade himself that he was as much loved by them as he loved them himself. A word or an affectionate look plunged him in delight. Sometimes he was so bowled over by it that he would burst into tears. Sitting by the table in the quiet little room, with Frau von Kerrich a few yards away, sewing by the light of the lamp, Minna reading on the other side of the table, and no one talking, he looking through the half-open garden door at the gravel of the avenue, glistening under the moon, a soft murmur coming from the tops of the trees. His heart would be so full of happiness that suddenly, for no reason, he would leap from his chair, throw himself at Frau von Kerrich's feet, seize her hand, needle or no needle, cover it with kisses, press it to his lips, his cheeks, his eyes, and sob. Minna would raise her eyes, slightly shrug her shoulders, and make a face. Frau von Kerrich would smile down at the big boy groveling at her feet, and pat his head with her free hand, and say to him in her pretty voice, affectionately and ironically, "'Well, well, old fellow, what is it?' Oh, the sweetness of that voice, that peace, that silence, that soft air in which were no shouts, no roughness, no violence, that oasis in the harsh desert of life, and heroic light gilding with its rays people and things, the light of the enchanted world conjured up by the reading of the divine poets, Goethe, Schiller, Shakespeare, springs of strength, of sorrow, and of love. Minna, with her head down over the book, and her face faintly colored by her animated delivery, would read in her fresh voice, with its slight lisp, and try to sound important when she spoke in the characters of warriors and kings. Sometimes Frau von Kerrich herself would take the book. Then she would lend to tragic histories the spiritual and tender graciousness of her own nature. But most often she would listen, lying back in her chair, her never-ending needlework in her lap. She would smile at her own thoughts, for always she would come back to them through every book. Jean-Christophe also had tried to read, but he had had to give it up. He stammered, stumbled over the words, skipped the punctuation, seemed to understand nothing, and would be so moved that he would have to stop in the middle of the pathetic passages, feeling tears coming. Then, in a tantrum, he would throw the book down on the table, and his two friends would burst out laughing. How he loved them! He carried the image of them everywhere with him, and they were mingled with the persons in Shakespeare and Goethe. He could hardly distinguish between them. Some fragrant word of the poets which called up from the depths of his being passionate emotions could not in him be severed from the beloved lips that had made him hear it for the first time. Even twenty years later, he could never read Egmont or Romeo, or see them played, without their leaping up in him at certain lines the memory of those quiet evenings, those dreams of happiness, and the beloved faces of Frau von Kerrich and Minna. He would spend hours looking at them in the evening when they were reading, in the night when he was dreaming in his bed, awake, with his eyes closed, 
during the day when he was dreaming at his place in the orchestra, playing mechanically with his eyes half-closed. He had the most innocent tenderness for them, and knowing nothing of love, he thought he was in love. But he did not quite know whether it was with the mother or the daughter. He went into the matter gravely, and did not know which to choose. And yet, as it seemed to him he must at all costs make his choice, he inclined towards Frau von Kerich, and he did in fact discover, as soon as he had made up his mind to it, that it was she that he loved. He loved her quick eyes, the absent smile upon her half-open lips, her pretty forehead, so young in seeming, and the parting to one side in her fine, soft hair, her rather husky voice, with its little cough, her motherly hands, the elegance of her movements, and her mysterious soul. He would thrill with happiness when, sitting by his side, she would kindly explain to him the meaning of some passage in a book which he did not understand. She would lay her hand on John Christophe's shoulder. He would feel the warmth of her fingers, her breath on his cheek, the sweet perfume of her body. He would listen in ecstasy, lose all thought of the book, and understand nothing at all. She would see that and ask him to repeat what she had said. Then he would say nothing, and she would laughingly be angry and tap his nose with her book, telling him that he would always be a little donkey. To that he would reply that he did not care so long as he was her little donkey, and she did not drive him out of her house. She would pretend to make objections. Then she would say that although he was an ugly little donkey and very stupid, she would agree to keep him, and perhaps even to love him, although he was good for nothing, if, at the least, he would be just good. Then they would both laugh, and he would go swimming in his joy. When he discovered that he loved Frau von Kerich, Jean Christophe broke away from Minna. He was beginning to be irritated by her coldness and disdain, and as, by dint of seeing her often, he had been emboldened little by little to resume his freedom of manner with her, he did not conceal his exasperation from her. She loved to sting him, and he would reply sharply. They were always saying unkind things to each other, and Frau von Kerich only laughed at them. Jean Christophe, who never got the better in such passages of words, used sometimes to issue from them so infuriated that he thought he detested Minna, and he persuaded himself that he only went to her house again because of Frau von Kerich. He went on giving her music lessons, twice a week, from nine to ten in the morning. He superintended the girls' scales and exercises. The room in which they did this was Minna's studio, an odd workroom which, with an amusing fidelity, reflected the singular disorder of her little feminine mind. On the table were little figures of musical cats, a whole orchestra, one playing a violin, another the violoncello, a little pocket mirror, toilet things and writing things, tidily arranged. On the shelves were tiny busts of musicians, Beethoven frowning, Wagner with his velvet cap, and the Apollo Belvedere. On the mantelpiece, by a frog smoking a red pipe, a paper fan on which was painted the Bayreuth Theatre. On the two bookshelves were a few books, Lubke, Mommsen, Schiller, 
sans famille, Jules Verne, Montaigne. On the walls, large photographs of the Sistine Madonna and pictures by Herkimer, edged with blue and green ribbons. There was also a view of a Swiss hotel in a frame of silver thistles, and above all, everywhere in profusion, in every corner of the room, photographs of officers, tenors, conductors, girlfriends, all with inscriptions, almost all with verse, or at least what is accepted as verse in Germany. In the center of the room, on a marble pillar, was enthroned a bust of Brahms with a beard, and above the piano little plush monkeys and cotillion trophies hung by threads. Minna would arrive late, her eyes still puffy with sleep, sulky. She would hardly reach out her hand to Jean-Christophe, coldly bid him good day, and without a word, gravely and with dignity, sit down at the piano. When she was alone, it pleased her to play interminable scales, for that allowed her agreeably to prolong her half-somnolent condition and the dreams which she was spinning for herself. But Jean-Christophe would compel her to fix her attention on difficult exercises, and so sometimes she would avenge herself by playing them as badly as she could. She was a fair musician, but she did not like music like many German women. But like them, she thought she ought to like it, and she took her lessons conscientiously enough, except for certain moments of diabolical malice indulged in to enrage her master. She could enrage him much more by the icy indifference with which she set herself to her task. But the worst was when she took it into her head that it was her duty to throw her soul into an expressive passage, then she would become sentimental and feel nothing. Young Jean Christophe, sitting by her side, was not very polite. He never paid her compliments, far from it. She resented that, and never let any remark pass without answering it. She would argue about everything that he said, and when she made a mistake, she would insist that she was playing what was written. He would get cross and they would go on exchanging ungracious words and impertinences. With her eyes on the keys, she never ceased to watch Jean-Christophe and enjoy his fury. As a relief from boredom, she would invent stupid little tricks, with no other object than to interrupt the lesson and to annoy Jean-Christophe. She would pretend to choke so as to make herself interesting. She would have a fit of coughing, or she would have something very important to say to the maid. Jean-Christophe knew that she was play-acting, and Minna knew that Jean-Christophe knew that she was play-acting, and it amused her, for Jean-Christophe could not tell her what he was thinking. One day, when she was indulging in this amusement, and was coughing languidly, hiding her mouth in her handkerchief, as if she were on the point of choking, but in reality watching Jean-Christophe's exasperation out of the corner of her eye, she conceived the ingenious idea of letting the handkerchief fall, so as to make Jean-Christophe pick it up, which he did with the worst grace in the world. She rewarded him with a thank you in her grand manner, which nearly made him explode. She thought the game too good not to be repeated. Next day she did it again. Jean-Christophe did not budge. He was boiling with rage. She waited a moment, and then said, in an injured tone, 
Will you please pick up my handkerchief? Jean Christophe could not contain himself. I am not your servant, he cried roughly. Pick it up yourself. Minna choked with rage. She got up suddenly from her stool, which fell over. Oh, this is too much, she said, and angrily thumped the piano, and she left the room in a fury. Jean Christophe waited. She did not come back. He was ashamed of what he had done. He felt that he had behaved like a little cad, and he was at the end of his tether. She made fun of him too impudently. He was afraid lest Minna should complain to her mother, and he should be forever banished from Frau von Kerrick's thoughts. He knew not what to do, for if he was sorry for his brutality, no power on earth would have made him ask pardon. He came again on the chance the next day, although he thought that Minna would refuse to take her lesson. But Minna, who was too proud to complain to anybody, Minna, whose conscience was not shielded against reproach, appeared again after making him wait five minutes more than usual, and she sat down at the piano, stiff, upright, without turning her head or saying a word, as though Jean Christophe no longer existed for her. But she did not fail to take her lesson, and all the subsequent lessons, because she knew very well that Jean Christophe was a fine musician, and that she ought to learn to play the piano properly if she wished to be, what she wished to be, a well-bred young lady of finished education. But how bored she was! How they bored each other! End of section 18